You are listening to the podcast of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. CBMW exists to promote the Bible's teaching on men, women, and marriage. Learn more at cbmw.org. The Danvers Statement summarizes the need for the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood and serves as an overview of our core beliefs. This statement was prepared by several evangelical leaders at a CBMW meeting in Danvers, Massachusetts in December of 1987. In this podcast series, we are walking through the Danvers Statement line by line as we discuss the statement's biblical basis and ethical implications. I'm Colin Smothers, Executive Director of CBMW. And my name is Denny Burke. I'm the President of CBMW. So in previous episodes, we've already talked about the rationales that underlie the Danvers Statement, Denny. And now, at the, this point in the statement, we come to what are known as the purposes. And this section is headed by this paragraph, which I'll go ahead and read. It says, recognizing our own abiding sinfulness and fallibility, and acknowledging the genuine evangelical standing of many who do not agree with all of our convictions, nevertheless, moved by the preceding observations and by the hope that the noble biblical vision of sexual complementarity may yet win the mind and heart of Christ's church, we engage to pursue the following purposes. And then the statement goes on to list some purposes of not only the Danvers statement, but also the organization CBMW. But I was struck by that that first clause there, Denny. It says, recognizing our own abiding sinfulness and fallibility. So that's just a confession that the Danvers statement is is not infallible, is in is not infallible, right? Yeah, I think you said it right there. <laughs> it's, a, it's a double negation, isn't it? That's correct. We don't view um, any of these doctrinal statements as inspired like we would view Scripture, and uh, we we recognize that that um, they could be mistaken. They could be short-sighted. Um, they could be improved. Um, I, I'm just thinking about, I still hold the whole Danvers statement. I still think it faithfully represents what the Bible teaches. But it is it is interesting to think about that in 1987, you think about your own, our own fallibility and inability to see what's coming. I mean, who would have known when they wrote this that there would be such a tremendous need to define what a man and a woman is? Hmm. Um, th- that was a given when they wrote this statement. So even when you look at the first lines, we'll get to the first lines in uh, subsequent episodes, but it talks about that there's a distinction between manhood and womanhood. Uh, and a lot of it's kind of assumed without being spelled out, which is one of the reasons we ended up having the Danvers, um, the uh, Nashville statement 30 years later That's right. to address some of those things. But yeah, I mean, we're, we have our own limitations. We're sinful. We're fallible. We can make mistakes. We may not be as forward seeing as we ought as we ought to be and um and we all just need to to realize that and admit that which puts the Danvers statement in relief to for instance what we confess and believe about the bible what paul says to timothy that the bible the scriptures are living and active sharper than any double-edged sword because the author of the scriptures the holy spirit uh sees all and knows all including the future that's different than what we're saying about the Danvers statement yeah, absolutely. Now, I don't want it to, to denigrate the purposes and the usefulness of doctrinal statements. Doctrinal statements are helpful. They're summaries of our faith. At their best, they're trying to express what we think the Bible believes and, and summarize it in a form that can be um, clarifying and can unite people around uh, common goals and purposes. So, so they're still useful, but we don't, you know, attribute to them some kind of, you know, inspiration or something like that. So there's some epistemic humility here, recognizing our own abiding sinfulness and and fallibility. And then it says, and acknowledging the genuine evangelical standing of many who do not agree 
with all of our convictions. In other words, uh, recognizing that there are genuine evangelical believers on the other side of this debate, namely egalitarians, right? Absolutely. And, you know, we've said always from the beginning, I mean, this, this came out in 1987. This is the founding document of CBMW. We've always said this is a secondary issue in terms of complementarianism and egalitarianism. And there are other people who hold a different point of view than us, the egalitarians, and many of them are just you know, warm-hearted evangelicals. We're otherwise appreciative for their evangelical faith, even though we have significant differences over this. But it does kind of raise the question, and probably worth us talking about for just a second, um, what do you mean that it's a secondary issue? I think many of us are kind of drafting off, off of Albert Moeller's theological triage article that he wrote, uh, oh, some years ago. Uh, but the theological triage that, that he came up with, I think is helpful for us, where he divides things between primary issues, secondary issues, and tertiary issues. And the primary issues are issues of the faith that distinguish Christians from non-Christians. So if you get it, if you're wrong on this, it would determine whether or not you can actually be a Christian at all. Mm -hmm. So if you deny the deity of Christ, for example, you can't be a Christian at that point. You can say you're a Christian, but you won't really be one if you're denying the deity of Christ. If you're denying the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, you, you can't be a Christian at that point. Um, so, so there are all kinds of the Trinity that, that would fall. That's a clear primary issues. It separates Christians from non-Christians. So differences over those issues are of primary importance. The issues that are of secondary importance are those which they don't necessarily determine whether or not you're a Christian, but they do determine whether or not you could do church together for example, and perhaps be in other, some other kind of parachurch ministry together. Uh, but they are defining, uh, you know, for me, the most important thing is whether or not you could do church together. So like baptism would be a secondary issue. Um, I recognize that I have some warm-hearted, faithful, evangelical Presbyterian brothers and sisters. Same folks thing. on our board, like Duncan. Folks on our board CBMW. here at CBMW. We've, you know, you know J.I. Packer was one of our initial uh, associates here. At CBMW, he's Anglican. Um, so, in other words, there's all kinds of people that have differences over secondary issues. And what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Of course that you're a Christian. But it does mean that you wouldn't be able to do church together. Because when you're, when you're, when you're in a church, you're either going to baptize babies or you're not. Um, it, there's not like an in-between position there. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, we, you, you will either baptize babies or not. This issue is the same kind of a thing. Because um, you will either have female pastors or not. <laughs> um, there's not an in-between there in, in a church. Even if you're in a church that says, uh, we're going to accept both views. Um, we're going we're, we're gonna to accept people who hold to egalitarianism and who hold to complementarianism. At the end of the day, that church will either employ me for female pastors or not. Right. <laughs> and if they do, their, their egalitarian practice is going to shape everything. And if they don't, then complementarianism is, it looks like, is probably carrying the day. But there's not an in-between there. So it really does define what, you know, how you're going to do church. That's a secondary issue. So you could be Christians, have disagreements about it. Uh, and then tertiary issues are issues that would not even divide us um, within a church. So, you know, in my church, for example, we, we believe certain millennial schemes or tertiary issues. And so you could be an amillennialist or premillennialist still be a member of the church. We're not going to divide over, over that. 
But um, definitely, though, um, this issue between uh, egalitarianism and complementarianism, that's a secondary issue. Mm -hmm. It really does define who you're going to be able to do church with, how you're going to carry out your ministries, who you're going to call as pastor, um, who's going to be teaching different classes in the church. This is all implicated uh, by this. And so um, I hear sometimes people saying, well, if it's a secondary issue, it's something we need to worry about because it doesn't affect salvation. That's not true. Secondary issues are important issues. If they weren't, we would all just, you know, Presbyterians and Baptists would be in the same church together. Okay. Right. So secondary issues are are important issues and they have to be um, you know, carefully approached and understood. Also say this, this will be the I know I'm going long winded here, but one more thing I want to say on this. I do believe that differences over this particular issue, even though it is a secondary issue, it does implicate or sometimes can implicate more primary issues. And we'll talk about that. We've already talked about this in talking about hermeneutical strategies that functionally undermine the authority of Scripture mm-hmm. when carried out and especially um, applied to other areas. So there are certain hermeneutical strategies that you can see amongst egalitarians that if they were applied to other issues, they would be a primary, primary issue. So, and the most notable thing is the issue of homosexuality. Right. And we've talked about on our series of the Nashville Statement how this issue is related to uh, the way that you you treat men and women in whether or not they're interchangeable in the home and the church uh, will affect the way that you treat men and women interchangeably in marriage, et cetera. Um, whether or not you hold the line or not is uh, is a different question. But I think it is an important point to make that secondary does not mean of secondary importance, and not only t- for a local church, or at least of no importance. Right, right. I mean, it's. Just, I mean, wouldn't you say secondary, secondary importance compared? Well, I don't know what's well compared to the gospel, but it just depends on. That's what I mean when we're talking about, for instance, denominational cooperation. Some people will maybe say, "Well, this is a secondary issue, therefore of secondary importance." Well, no, it's of primary importance in, in cooperation, terms of our cooperation in terms yeah. of our local church unity. And this conversation is playing out, for instance, right now in our own denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, whether or not yeah. this issue right here will determine uh, our fellowship together, our cooperation. Yeah, or, or even within just an individual local church, if we had someone who became an egalitarian, in, in my church at least, and in, in my local church, we ask folks who folks who become members to eat. They don't have to understand everything in our, our church's doctrinal statement, but they they can't have any settled convictions against anything in our doctrinal statement. And that's just what it means to sign up to be a covenant member. And so if you have a, if you were to end up with a settled conviction against something, then you just wouldn't be a member there anymore. And so there are secondary issues there though, that are in our doctrinal statement. And one of them is baptism, for example. Right. And if you came to a settled conviction against our teaching on baptism, you, you know, you wouldn't want to remain a member at our church. Same thing on this. If you came to a settled conviction against what the uh, our faith statement says, we use the Baptist faith and message, which says the office of pastors, limited men, is qualified by Scripture. Um, if you didn't agree with that, then you would not be able to remain as a as a as a member. So, in that sense, I see what you're saying yeah. that it's it's primary in the sense that it, it's a secondary issue, but it is going to determine whether or not you can be in that church. Right, right. And um, and uh, in the same way, if a church, not just an individual, but if, if a church were to come to a different conviction on whether or not to call women pastors in their local congregation, you know, the impetus is on them to 
to not try to change the whole denomination or convention uh, to them or, or force a, a different confession, but to recognize, hey, this is a, uh, something we're no longer able to cooperate over. Right. And of course, that's where the disputes are, because some people want to change. You know, it's not just the Southern Baptist Convention, but the PCA and right. the uh, CMA that we talked about um, some episodes back. You know, people are trying to ch- just change the, the doctrine of the entire denomination. Which is, it brings us to the next clause in this, in this paragraph. Nevertheless, so those um, caveats stated, moved by the preceding observations and by the hope that the noble vi- biblical vision of sexual complementarity may yet win the mind and heart of Christ's church, we engage to pursue the following purposes. In other words, we do think the biblical vision is of sexual complementarity that has uh, implications for our lives ordered in the home and the church, and it's noble and it's good, and we want complementarianism to win the day. No, we we do, and we have to have a, a position on it. So we recognize that we're fallible. We recognize this is a secondary issue. But just because we're fallible, we're talking about a secondary issue, doesn't mean that we don't want to declare what we believe about these things and to order our lives and our churches and our denominations according to what we hold that the Bible says. And if you're going to be biblical, if you're going to be faithful to Christ, you have to do what you believe the, the Bible teaches. It's not something you can just sort of jump over and and act like it, you know, the Bible doesn't speak to it when it, when it clearly does. Resources like the CBMW podcast are made possible by generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider giving at cbmw.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening.